Hello and welcome to Beyond Markets by Julius Baer, a series featuring conversations with experts to share recent market developments, key insights and strategic inputs from around the globe. In each episode, we cut through the noise to bring practical advice and macro research on today's shifting economic and market landscape. Please listen to the important legal information at the end of this podcast. Hello, and welcome to another episode in our podcast series, Beyond Markets. My name is Perlin Wong, and I'm Head of Investment Promotion and Solutions Asia. Today, we have with us Jenai Chua, my colleague from the Research Asia-Pacific team based in Singapore. Hello, Jenai. Thank you for joining us as we kickstart the first episode of our special podcast series on Singapore's future after the pandemic. Hi, Perlin. Pleasure to be here. After several starts and stops, it looks like we are finally on track to resume some normalcy in Singapore. As of 15th August, more than 8.5 million vaccination shots have been administered in Singapore, with 73% of our population fully vaccinated, making us the third most vaccinated nation behind Malta and UAE. Armed with the protection of vaccination, Singapore will move to treating the virus as endemic rather than pandemic. This means learning to live with the virus in our everyday lives and entering a new normal. Our government has outlined a controlled four-step reopening plan, which entails easing travel restrictions, changes in healthcare protocols, increased size limits for events, and more rusted routine testing to facilitate further economic reopening. So Jenai, let's talk about the various implications of this new approach which kicked off recently with the easing of some measures such as raising limits for congregations and social gatherings and allowing dining in at restaurants. Hmm, I'm glad restrictions were eased and I hope you managed to eat out with family and friends. Yeah. I heard that waiting times at some restaurants were reportedly very long and it didn't help that the Michelin Guide Singapore Bib Goman winners for 2021 were also announced last weekend. Yes, it seems like good news all around, with Singapore policymakers also upgrading their GDP growth projections for 2021 last week, after a stronger-than-expected recovery in the first half. This is a rebound that's projected to expand as Singapore reopens more sectors and eases travel restrictions in coming weeks. Yes, the outlook certainly appears more positive. Second quarter year-on-year GDP growth of 14.7% is definitely a very strong print, albeit coming from a low base last year. Growth, however, has been rather uneven. Sectors like manufacturing, insurance and infocom are trending well above pre-pandemic levels. But construction, accommodation, food services and transportation are still well below. Jenai, what do you think explains the resilience showing? Well, Perlin, first, Singapore's macro data has reflected the rebound in global trade activity almost perfectly. The top-line multiplier from trade is huge for Singapore, as a trade-to-GDP ratio of around 320%. Second, Singapore's sizable exposure to the US matters because the recovery in the US has been nothing short of amazing. And a third factor, of course, has been Singapore's strong manufacturing bias. Well, with our high vaccination rates globally, and especially as compared to the region, does this give us a longer-term competitive advantage to our Asian peers? 
To the extent that vaccination speed seems to be the key factor driving the decision to lift restrictions, yes, a high vaccination rate does appear to confer a first-mover advantage on countries who can vaccinate quickly. And a slow vaccination rate would have implications on when countries can reopen with confidence. So for example, at the current rate of vaccinations, both Indonesia and the Philippines are expected to hit the 70% threshold for herd immunity only in late 2022, which would really push back the timeline to recovery by at least another year or so. Hmm. So coming back to Singapore, what can we expect for the road ahead? Which sectors do you think will stand to benefit the most from reopening measures? We would agree with economists on the street that manufacturing and exports should continue driving the economic recovery for the rest of the year. Services will probably also pick up speed with the latest economic reopening. You have domestic services such as retail, food and beverage, arts, entertainment and recreation that also should see some improvement with the easing of restrictions. Good. I noticed though that you left out tourism. Could you share your thoughts on this sector? Sure. We believe tourism and transport services are likely to be the last to normalise as border controls remain tight. Many countries still have restrictions on outbound travel, and in particular, China's zero-tolerance policy towards COVID, its desire to keep things under control ahead of the 2022 Beijing Winter Olympics, and tough curbs on outbound travel mean Chinese tourists are unlikely to return anytime soon. To give you an idea of what this means for Singapore, Tourism accounted for 5.8% of Singapore's GDP pre-COVID, and Chinese tourists made up 18% of total tourist arrivals in 2019. Oh dear, that sounds rather pessimistic for travel-related businesses. Well, it will take time for the sector to recover, but it's not all bad news. The government is planning more border easing. Frequent testing may replace mandatory quarantine on arrival from selected countries such as the US and parts of the EU. I see. So there is some hope then for many amongst us who have been estranged from our loved ones overseas and who maybe just need to have a holiday. In terms of investments, Jenai, what is your view or our view on the Singapore market? We are incrementally more positive on Singapore. We mm -hmm. believe Singapore, together with Korea and Australia, are second-stage performers. So to explain, China, which recovered earliest and is past peak growth, would be a first-stage performer. Okay. And Southeast Asia, which is likely to rebound most strongly only next year, would be a late-stage performer. Mm. Stage 2 is an ideal phase to be in now because GDP and earnings are at their strongest normalisation recoveries. The Straits Times Index is up 10% year-to-date and among the best-performing bourses regionally. And mm. this reflects the reality that Singapore is doing well economically. But besides the robust earnings outlook, we like the market for other reasons. As a market, Singapore offers one of the highest forward dividend yields of 3.9% in Asia and is reasonably valued on price-to-earnings and price-to-book. Okay, but are there any other potential pitfalls that investors should be aware of? Well, Pauline, to be frank, Singapore does not have a great long-term track record of returns. It's been okay. one of the worst-performing equity markets in the region, with negative returns of minus 1.8% over the past 10 years. And the reason for this is the lack of tech companies in the stock index. Now, this is changing with the mm -hmm. inclusion of Southeast Asia's largest tech company in the MSCI Singapore Index. The proposal by the Singapore Stock Exchange to allow SPAC dual listings could also further change things. With the inclusion of Southeast Asia's largest unicorn, 
we could potentially see these fintech giants account for 38% of the MSCI Singapore index. Wow. Wow, that's interesting and would definitely increase the breadth and depth of the Singapore equity universe. Yes, it would. <laughs> okay, Janai. So then how could investors or should investors position themselves for the next 6 to 12 months? Well, Perlin, we are favorably disposed towards the Singapore banks. They enjoy improving asset quality and they have the scope to pay out more dividends post the lifting of dividend caps by the central bank. We like the new economy REITs in the data center, logistics and business park spaces, given their resilient business models, strong structural growth stories and sustainable yields. Reopening plays like the retail landlords and to a lesser extent, airlines and air services companies should also benefit as more border restrictions continue to ease. The shrinking of regional airlines will definitely strengthen Changi's hub position post-pandemic and this is a long-term positive for travel-related plays. We are positive on the physical residential property sector. There are mm -hmm. signs that the on-block cycle is stirring to life in view of strong demand, dwindling inventory and limited land supply. Okay, finally, I have a couple of more futuristic and thought-provoking questions for you. The first one, what structural changes do you believe will continue in our city-state due to the pandemic? I think the most immediate way that the pandemic has impacted day-to-day -day living for all of us has been through the accelerated adoption of technology, whether it be through e-commerce, financial technology, video conferencing, telemedicine, or online teaching. You know, suddenly we all had to learn how to use Zoom, which I never heard of before this. And on a personal and rather embarrassing note, last May was actually when I first downloaded and used my Teledoctor <laughs> and Shopee app. Second, there appears to be weakening support for globalisation. Supply chain disruptions have prompted firms to turn to manufacturers that are closer to home for critical parts and reshoring, especially against the backdrop of rising US-China trade tensions, has definitely gained urgency. What about ESG? Is this also top of mind for our policymakers, Chennai? Oh yes, the pandemic has definitely brought ESG or environmental, social and governance issues to the top of the policy agenda mm -hmm. for many countries and Singapore is no exception. Um, in the same breath that the resilience, fortitude and other budgets were introduced, policymakers were also reiterating sustainability as a key team driving Singapore's future economy. So incentives to increase electric vehicle adoption were announced and this has fueled a 40% increase in the wow. local EV population from January to July this year. On a related note, the pandemic has also spurred the restructuring and future-proofing of Singapore's government-linked companies, and a number of heavyweights have already announced sweeping changes. Certainly, these have raised hopes that the post-pandemic Singapore landscape will emerge cleaner, greener, and better run. Great. So, if we were to continue on this theme of change, something a little bit more perhaps controversial, we saw an exodus of foreigners following a recalibration of our workforce. What do you think? Will this reverse for certain vital sectors such as technology? Well, so far for this year, the main policy changes announced have mainly been aimed at dependent pass holders. So mm -hmm. in January, foreign intra-corporate transferees were subject to more conditions on their ability to bring in dependents. And in March, rules were tightened so that dependent pass holders seeking employment here would need to apply for their own pass to be employed. So going back to your question, Perlin, I think your guess is as good as mine. It is indeed a very delicate policy balance for politicians to strike. On the one hand, Singapore's openness to global talent, low taxes and modern infrastructure have been viewed as ingredients to its success as a hub in Asia. 
But on the other hand, foreign labour has also been a hot potato issue among locals for more than a decade. The Prime Minister has said turning inwards is against Singapore's fundamental interests, but Singapore will also need to recalibrate its foreign worker policies to balance being accepting of those from other countries and addressing its citizens' concerns. Thank you, Janai, for your valuable insights. To summarise, the outlook for Singapore does look promising as a place to work, live and invest, even as we enter a new normal. There are many exciting opportunities ahead, and we will elaborate more about these in subsequent episodes in our Singapore's Future After the Pandemic series. Be sure to tune in and join us then. On behalf of Jenai and all our colleagues at Julius Bear, thank you to everyone for tuning in and goodbye. You have been listening to Beyond Markets by Julius Bear. If you like what you heard, subscribe to our show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. To learn more about Julius Bear, our people, our latest thinking, visit us at www.juliusbear.com. We will be back with a brand new episode soon. This is a podcast disclaimer. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast constitute marketing material and are not the result of independent financial or investment research. The podcast content is intended for information purposes only and does not constitute an offer, a recommendation or an invitation by or on behalf of Julius Baer to buy or sell any securities, security-based derivatives or other products or to participate in any particular trading strategy in any jurisdiction. Julius Baer does not accept liability for any loss arising from the use of the podcast content. Please refer to www.juliusbear.com forward slash legal forward slash podcasts for further important legal information.